Will we see a first pitch? Well, the schedule comes out today. We know who the Phillies will play, but can baseball 18 days away from the season starting? Can they get there? That is a big question. Another big name has come down with COVID-19. Rangers slugger Joey Gallo is uh, now on the sidelines. The Phillies had a weird situation over the weekend. We'll get into it all. Mike Hill, Hunter Brody, Josh Henning producing today's show. You out there. Phillies just wrapped up uh, summer camp today. Apparently there's a big storm. It's starting to rain in Philly. So uh, the Phillies kind of... Uh, cut their summer camp early, but there was a familiar face that had been there over the weekend. That was Aaron Nola. He was throwing a bullpen session today, but baseball is having all sorts of getting off the ground problems, man. Absolutely, and it is nice to see Aaron Nola there because over the weekend there was a report that he was on the COVID-19 list, so people speculated that, well, he had COVID-19, but that wasn't necessarily the case. He could have been the way that they laid it out, it's like if person A talks to is, is with in contact with person B and he's talking to person C and all that, you kind of have to go through the whole entire system to see and track if Arenola then has it. But it looks like, obviously, if he's there throwing, that it did not go all the way back to Arenola. Yeah, it was weird because there was a report from Matt uh, uh, Breen from the Inquirer that suggested essentially that there was a bunch of players that were on the COVID list, Nola being one of them. I think it was Hector Neris, Tommy Hunter, Ranger Suarez. Well, no, they were on Thursday, if you remember. Oh, Thursday, correct. And then there was a bunch of other guys that were added to that list, Nola being one of them. Now, apparently, it wasn't that they had COVID. It was that they were just in the COVID protocol. In other words, what you're saying, Nola may have talked to Neris or Kingery, and because he talked to them, it's like, you have to now be in the protocol. It was just a bonker situation, and you're like, well, is he out? Is he in? What's going on? And then you had the story. You know, Mike Trout came out and said, look, I don't feel comfortable. My wife's having a baby. I don't know that I'm going to play. I mean, Trout was very vocal on Thursday. Well, then Zach Wheeler was asked over the weekend, and he then came out and said, I don't know that I'm going to play because his wife is also expecting a child in, say, August, and he's saying, how can I be playing baseball, go home with my newborn, and the possibility of me getting this, bringing it back home. So then you had Wheeler. You know who else's wife is pregnant and due to have a baby here soon? Bryce Harper. Now, he has not spoken on whether or not he's thinking about it, but Mike Trout is definitely considering not playing. Zach Wheeler is definitely considering not playing. So there was a time yesterday where both Wheeler and Nola, Girardi admitted, may not be ready to pitch by opening day that he might not have either one of those guys. So seeing Nola out there today, I guess, was something. But, man, baseball just couldn't get out of its own way to get this thing off the ground. They spent so much time bickering behind the scenes that nobody thought about what to do in this scenario, they're taking tests. They're not getting the test back for days, so people don't know what's going on. We had the Astros today close down camp. I think other teams are following them because they have so many outbreaks, they don't know what to do. Well, I, I will say this. I do think that there's a lot of players that are concerned, and the baby thing is definitely real. A lot of these players are expecting children, and they want to make sure that they are as healthy as possible going into the whole birth but I do wonder if baseball did go with a 114-game season like the players wanted to, if the players were going to make more money, will you see so many guys 
opt out or feel uncomfortable. I just wonder, and, and I, I do think it's reasonable to feel a certain way, to feel uncomfortable if you do have newborn children or your wife is pregnant, but is this another situation where the players are kind of going against the owners going, listen, guys, you kind of screwed us here, so, you know, hey, I don't feel comfortable. What are you going to do about it? I don't feel comfortable. Fair question. Like, hey, if we got our way, would we have all... Uh, I don't want to say all. I mean, like I said, I do think it's reasonable. Unborn or um, newborn children, or your wife's pregnant. Like I, I think Mike Trout is very, very into being as healthy as possible, and I think that that is fair. And I do think some people do truly just feel uncomfortable. But I ask the question: Are there players out there that are saying they're more uncomfortable than they are because they're pissed off with ownership? Could be. I mean, I don't. Do you think there has been? A amount of dropouts already that has tainted this season. No, I don't think so because at this point, isn't it already somewhat to an extent tainted? So if Mike Trout doesn't play, if Zach Wheeler doesn't play, it, I don't know how much more tainted it can already be than a 60 game season and what's happening already. Yeah, and the one thing is like in down in Atlanta, for instance, I mean, they got Freddie Freeman, who's a big, huge name. That's a big loss. Exactly. But they it's not just Freddie Freeman. They've got others that are also out right now. I mean, it's like baseball is just trying to get to the starting line with all this behind them. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they get there. You would imagine between now and then, I mean, there's going to be more testing, which is going to do what? show more positive results. They're not it's not like they've tested the whole league and they've only got X amount of people. They're gonna keep testing and keep testing and keep testing and they're gonna keep finding and finding and finding. At what point does baseball say, We hastily try to get this off the ground. We didn't have a good enough plan to get it off the ground and now we have to restructure this thing. I would be super shocked if that goes down because we're talking way too much money when it comes to T V deals and all of that. Now it does seem like baseball is the only sport having it to this degree. There are players in the NBA. Victor Oladipo was one of them, and you have some guys on the Brooklyn Nets, and, and there's just a lot of players who feel like they don't feel like playing in the NBA because of whether they want to make sure that they rehab properly and they're ready to go for the next year or because of COVID-19. There are players in the NBA, but it does seem like baseball players are way more outspoken about it, and I just question why is that? Why is it baseball is the one that has way more vocal guys stepping up saying, I don't feel like playing. And I have to relate it back to how the union and the owners are just going head-to-head constantly every single year all the time. This is uh, Buster Olney um, this morning was talking about what is the biggest unknown that baseball is facing right now. Will the players continue to follow the health and safety protocol? This has been a drumbeat in clubhouses all around cross baseball in the last couple of days. Managers, coaches, players speaking to this. Number two, because baseball players are not living in a bubble, when they go home, will they be exposed to the coronavirus with family and friends? Will they take that back in? And number three, will there be a major illness or worse that will change the conversation and the feeling around the game? I can tell you yesterday when word got out that Freddie Freeman, the respected all-star for the Braves, uh, has a high fever coronavirus, that really shook a lot of people around the game. There's so much uncertainty about what direction this is going. So there you go. Their biggest concern is going home. All of It goes back to the thing we talked a lot, a lot about is 
what if everybody follows 100% of the protocols? What You still can't account for what other people are doing. That's the biggest issue that baseball will have not being in this bubble situation. Right. You have all these players who are all around these different cities and different towns. They could possibly still be doing what they want to when they're off the field. But if they are as concerned as they are seeming to be, well, then you would think that they would take this as serious as possible. Now, there's going to be outliers who think it's a hoax and it's fake. And I'm sure that there are some people in the league that kind of laugh at others who are taking it more seriously. So it only takes one person to really screw that up. I understand it completely. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. I'm not saying that these owners and the MLB doesn't have all of it under control because it's obvious that they don't. I just I can't not put it in my head that these two parties hate each other so much that there has to be a correlation between that. I can't get that out of my head, Gil. I think it's definitely a factor, but I don't say it's the number one factor. I don't think it's the number one factor. I, I think health and safety of family is the number one, but if you're telling me the players got what they wanted. I just don't think that you will see as many people speaking up about it the way that they are. Well, 114 games and a lot more money, I promise you, you'll see more players I play. agree, but I don't think, again, I go back to the question I just asked you, which was, do you think there has been an overwhelming amount of players bailing out that is tainting the season? In other words, if they were so disenchanted with this whole scenario and four, five, six guys from each team were saying, you know what, we didn't want this, this is what we're doing, we're bailing. Then I might see your side. But if I'm getting one guy here, another guy on that team, maybe a guy there, I don't feel like there's a that many guys who are saying, I'm not playing, and they're not really given a reason other than I'm just not playing. Mike Trout saying he's not going to do this because his wife's pregnant, that's a legitimate reason. Zach Wheeler, he says he feels safe playing it's just that his wife is pregnant he wants to play so I think those are legitimate guys given legitimate reasons I don't know that there's a guy out there who just giving me some flimsy flip-flop I don't want to play and it's deep down secretly because of the way these negotiations went down I haven't seen enough guys bail out yet now if you get something a week from now and all five six guys from multiple teams then that might be different Absolutely, and I do think that there are guys who do feel one way about it because of their families, but it's so easy to say, I feel uncomfortable and I want to make sure my family's okay. Even if your mindset is, screw the owners, it's so simple to say, I don't want to play because I want to make sure my family is okay. Even if deep down you're lying to them and you really just don't want to play because you're really upset with how everything went down, right? So if you just come out and state, you know, this is why I don't feel like playing. I want to make sure my wife and kids are okay. Well, I mean, you can say that all you want. We won't know that you're really deep down pissed off about the owner stuff, but it could be that. Yeah. Well, this is Sean Doolittle. He has been pretty outspoken about all this. And this is uh, Sean Doolittle, by the way, is a uh, he's the closer for the Washington Nationals. And he talked about it. And he's got some really passionate bites here about why baseball and sports in general shouldn't be so quick to return. We're trying to bring baseball back during a pandemic that's killed 130,000 people 
we're way worse off in a, as a country than where we were in March when we shut this thing down. And like, look at where other developed countries are in their response to this. We haven't done any of the things that other countries have done to bring sports back. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. And we're just trying to just bring it back, even though we've taken none of the steps to flatten the curve, whatever you want to say. We did flatten the curve for a little bit, but we didn't use that time to do anything productive. We just opened back up for Memorial Day. We decided we're done with it. If there aren't sports, it's going to be because people are not wearing masks because the response to this has been so politicized. Like we need help from the general public. If they want to watch baseball, like please wear a mask, social distance, keep washing your hands. We can't just have virus fatigue and think, well, it's been four months. Like we're over it. This has been enough time, right? We've waited long enough. Like shouldn't sports come back now? No, there's things we have to do in order to bring the stuff back. And now you want to bring fans back. Is that safe? I'm not a public health expert, but like, we should probably defer to them on some of these issues. So I, I don't know. I don't know if it's safe or not. I really don't know. Pretty passionate stuff and pretty eye-opening stuff and stuff that we've talked a lot about here. Other countries are out of this. They are This coronavirus is behind other countries. And yet here we are, as Doolittle said, we are probably worse off now than back in March when they stopped baseball to begin with, and here we are trying to bring them back. Well, the thing I say when I hear him speak is, you know, he talks about how should sports be returning. Well, I think it's obvious at this point that no sports is safer than sports. At this point in time, no sports is safer than sports. But we do need to realize how big of a business all of these sports really are. So, I mean, you can't just not have these sports forever. You 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 are going to have to get the product back on the field, whether it's the safest or not. So to an extent, I kind of disagree with him in terms of, like, do we do we need to have sports back? Is it the right time? You kind of do have to start getting sports back because of how much money that it generates. It's it's essentially the question, what's more important, getting figuring out COVID completely or getting the economy back as well? And somehow you got to find the mix. So I do think with finding the mix, sports coming back is in play, if that makes sense. I think a little bit of what he's saying, too, is, look, we— got out of playing baseball in March because of this. We should be safe enough to come back by now, but we're simply not. So what does that tell you about getting us back out there? I agree with what you're saying is there's got to be some mix. I think what he's saying is we've had four months to figure something out here and we're not getting better. We're getting worse. So sure, we need to reincorporate the economics and bring the economy back at some point, but it's not Doolittle's fault is what he's saying that you guys couldn't figure this out for the last four months. I just find it hard to believe that all of these other countries out there, there's not people who, because as we always talk about, it's so hard to get, it's actually impossible to get every single person on the same page, right? Nobody will completely 100% be on the same page as a whole entire society. So you're telling me all of these people in all the other countries all believe the same thing to do the same thing and this will go away? We're the only country where not everyone is on the same page with coronavirus? Because it's so hard to have everyone think the same way. There's got to be people in other countries who thinks it's a hoax, who will go outside, who won't have a mask on, who will do the same thing that people here are doing. So how do they get past it and we can't? Well, most of those countries... First off, a run a little different. That's fair. And had federal mandates. It wasn't like here where 
there was there was no federal mandate. It was have fun and figure it out for yourself. So Florida says, all right, we're open. New Jersey says, well, we're closed. So you have 50 different places doing 50 different things where a lot of these other countries, Canada, you know, uh, South Korea, China, wherever, you name it, they had federal mandates. I don't care what state you're in or what part of our European Union you're in. This is what you have to do. So, sure, there might be a few stragglers that say, I'm not listening, this isn't real. But overall, if you tell the entire country to do the same thing, you were going to lessen the amount of people who are freely going to do what they want. So what ended up happening here is Florida's open. I live in New Jersey. I'll take a flight to Florida, go down there because they're fine. Then I'll go back to New Jersey when I feel like it. And you're never going to be able to put some sort of, you know, slow down here. If you notice, New Jersey, which was getting a lot of criticism from a lot of people, was one of the last states to open. Well, there's only two states in the entire country that have a decline in test uh in in um cases new jersey and i think new hampshire was the other one so that's gonna end up going up because now how many of those people actually live in new jersey that were down here you know so that's one of the big differences between what's going on in our country as opposed to other countries like you say you talk to people in canada they're they're basically out of this mess it's just so hard for me to imagine that it's eliminated every everywhere, and then here we're just a complete nightmare. We're the only country that's a complete nightmare. It's just absolutely bonkers to me, and it's hard for me to believe anything I hear anymore when it comes to these tests and all that. I'm just I'm in a spot where my mind is so boggled, and it's so confusing how all of this is even happening, and this is perfect. They're playing baseball in Korea, and and we are just so clueless. They're not it's only playing so baseball hard. in Korea. They're ready to bring fans back to watch baseball games. Meanwhile, over the weekend, football, the NFL, PA, has recommended to get rid of all four preseason games now. Yeah, but that was already in the works to an extent anyway. Though. Not all four. Not all four. Two of them, though. When well, they eliminated no, the, two the two. have already been out. Right. But they After were they eliminated the two, the PA said, I think we should just do all four. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's... I don't know how big of a deal that is, only because the NFL has been trying to find ways to kind of get rid of the preseason games as it no, is. No, 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 no. The NFL doesn't want to get rid of the preseason games. The NFL, the the fans do, but the NFL doesn't. There's a reason why they keep holding on to four. They get paid a regular game ticket for that game. No, I if get you're that. the owner of the team. And I have a fake game going on, and I get a full ticket price. Am I getting rid of that game? No, no. No, but from it has been discussed for years now to get rid of these games somehow. From yeah, the, but from the union inside, it's the players' been discussed union. by not necessarily. I mean, the owners want to put two regular season games, and in return, they would cut the preseason sure, down. Correct, but the. The, the players have not been lobbying to get rid of preseason games so much. That's mostly from the fans who are saying, ah, we're paying full prices for these games. We don't want to go to these games. These games don't matter anymore. I think it's part of it, but it's also players inside that don't really care for the four preseason games either. But regardless. No, I no, no. Well, this was a big conversation last year. The players, we had this conversation loosely on Thursday. 
The back end of the roster players want these games. Sure. This is their only opportunity. Now you're going to take them all out. There's no way that the players are fighting to get rid of those games. They need those opportunities. If you're an agent and you have a, a, a 86 man on the roster, he has no shot now to make a roster without those games. I understand that, and that's why the big debate of the whole 90-man roster getting cut down to 80 or 75 is in play because, yeah, it does count out guys and like the players uh, don't want that, and nor do the coaches. Right, but I, I just think it's naive to think that this hasn't been a conversation of getting rid of some preseason games for quite some not time. Not by the players, though. It's been a talk it's from not just people fans. like us that just say uh, these games don't that. matter. More than that. It's more than just the fans. If it was just the fans talking about it, it would have no relation to the league at all and I think that there has been conversations with the league to kind of find ways to as you state whether it's make them regular season games or somewhere along those lines it was always kind of being talked to how do we get rid of some of these preseason games not by the players and the owners okay though. I would I, I'm just gonna disagree player. I think it's more I than don't just have fans. to disagree that's sure that's it. factual I, I know I mean I do think it's more than just the fans I think more than just the fans would like to get rid of four Well, I can games. tell you this. The I know owners not, don't want to get rid of them. The, I know and I can tell the you owners. that the NFL Players Association do not want to get rid of them. So who does that leave that wants to get rid of them? Maybe some of these veteran players that don't feel well, like going through four preseason s- games, even if they're not playing. They, they might play. Think I was going to say, they right, don't even dress sure. up for these games. Well, it could still be in play. It absolutely can I can be. tell you this. The players do not want to get rid of the games because the agents who represent those players do not want to lose those games for their clients to get chances. Right, those to play undrafted games. players want the preseason. Right, games. but the regular players, the players who are making, it doesn't affect them to play four games. They don't play four games. They don't even dress for those games. So they're nothing's changing for them with those games or without those games. And the owners definitely don't want to get rid of those games. There's one reason that those games have not gone away, is because the owners charge full prices for those games. So. The owners definitively do not want to get rid of preseason games. I understand that and completely. And the players, the agents for those players, do not want to get rid of the preseason games at all. I'm just telling you that I think it's more than just the fans when it comes to these games. Okay, I'm sa- and I'm giving you the other side of it right. that I, if it, it can't be, it's not the owners. Right, and, and I gave you the who players. it is. It's, it's, it's sure, it can be players. It, it absolutely uh, can I be I know players. it can be, but right. I'm telling you You're it's saying, not. No, but I'm disagreeing. <laughs> You're saying the undrafted players. Oh, I'm it's not my opinion. It's it's reported that the okay. players do not. The Players okay. Association does not want to get right, rid of Right, you're talking about the Players Association. That does not yeah. account for all well, of the it players. it doesn't mean 100%. Right, exactly. That's my point. Just like this whole new CBA that agreed on, just because it passed does not mean sure, all of absolutely. the players are on the same page. Nobody's That's always going to be on the same page. But Correct. More players than not want those games because they need them for jobs. It's like the I think DH some of thing. These pla- they don't want the DH. Players, sure. They just want the DH to get another job. It's not like, hey, let's add the DH. This is great. No, it gives an agent another player that he can get a full-time salary. The any the, the Players Association doesn't want to get rid of the, the pre- most of the players. Put it this way. If they had a majority of players... They would have got rid of them. But the players keep voting for the, the, the games to stay. I don't think fans have enough leverage. They don't. Right, exactly. So then why is it changing then? Because right. they're charging. Because they're of COVID. Changing, well, no, because they're changing it into making it regular season games is why it's changed. That's the trade-off is the owners are saying, fine, if you're going to take a preseason game away from us, you got to give us a regular season game. 
So they went to 17 games, which is not going to happen this year. It was supposed to, wasn't it? I just, yeah, I, they did. They did change a little bit of the rules. Right. Because so they of this. gave the owners a regular season game and cut down to three preseason games. Right. But I'm just saying, there's no way that the fans have enough impact on the league to force Roger Goodell and these people to make not. a change for preseason. So that means somewhere inside. They had to have had a conversation on, okay, this preseason thing should change. So where did but that conversation changed? come in? What do you mean, what changed? What conversation? What, the, nothing's just, changed. They added one regular season Well, they game. did change the preseason and the way that it has been over the last few years. Yes, yeah, because they took a preseason game and made it a regular season I understand season game. that. So they didn't lose a revenue. So the, I get that, but that that doesn't relate to the fans part of things. It wasn't the fans that pushed no. that from happening. So no, that the means fans in, have zero say correct. in this. So that means somewhere inside... It was something other than the fans, which was what I was trying to prove. It's not just the fans that has created this conversation inside the NFL. Somewhere along the lines, there was more of a conversation from whether it was Are you the talking Union. about, though, the preseason games this year? I'm talking about just in general. Because they didn't the... change. Outside of the COVID, they had four preseason games this that, year. There just... was no change. They took two out because of covid yes not because of fans players or i owners. get that but over the last couple of years it has it has been a hot topic about finding a way to change and implement a new preseason but they haven't schedule. done that but it's been addressed in the cba that they are going no to it do. hasn't that's my point is they have not talked about or voted upon getting rid of those games the only stipulation to get rid of the preseason games was to add Right, but a regular season game. That was it. That was definitely wasn't that agreed on in the CBA that that was happening. To go to seventeen games, yes. and drop one preseason. Yes, game. but they never dropped the game entirely. I understand. They that. moved it right. to a regular season but game. That's fine. That's a totally different conversation. I think that it, the point is that they are changing the preseason run at this thing. It's the preseason has changed, and it wasn't just because of the fans. And that's my point. It has nothing to do with the fans. It has the it has to do with the owners getting a seventeenth okay. game. Right. You know what I'm saying? No, I do. I don't think you understand what I'm saying. Doesn't sound like it. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> no, the, the there was going to be seventeen games this year. That's out the window for this particular season. We got that on the same page, right? Yes. All right. If you're going to watch golf, watch it the right way. Bet on it. Sign up today for Sugar House Online Sportsbook. Go to PlaySugarHouse.com and start betting on golf. Boxing, Korean baseball, and much more. You must be 18 or older to play. Two Sports Pass live on a Monday edition. By the way, coming up tonight, football at four. Jeff Mosher had a report over the weekend. We will get into as well. Tom Moore will talk a little Sixers as uh, the Sixers have been having their Zoom calls all weekend long. Today was Mike Scott. Uh, Richardson speaking at three. And I think Alec Burks at 430 today. So we'll have news uh, from Tom Moore tonight at 5.30. He'll dish out the latest on the Sixers, who I guess, what, are they leaving tomorrow to go to Orlando? I'm not sure. I was just going to say, it's interesting Embiid hasn't been ta hasn't talked yet, right? And you had all these other guys, ben Burks, Simmons, Richardson. Burks, Richardson, Robinson, Raul Neto. Save the best for last. Scott, maybe. I mean, Brett Brown. A lot of them, have they've been doing like two or three a day, so maybe Embiid will talk. Who knows? I actually wanted to ask Neto yesterday, uh, I was on that call with him. Whether anybody has seen Joel Embiid, and can you, in fact, confirm that, um, you know, he's in the best shape of his life, but uh, they were ending the press conference. Uh, I did get called out by Keith Pompey. Did you see that? On Twitter? Yeah. Yeah, the, you, see that? you were going after him for Pitt. 
Or is this something different? No, I had a West Virginia shirt on in the Zoom call yesterday. He took a picture of me and said, WTF, this guy has a West Virginia shirt on on the Zoom call. And then he hashtagged Dave Schaller, who runs the Sixers media, and he told Schaller that he should take my credential away from me from wearing the WVU shirt. So you went back and forth with him a couple times this weekend then because I saw something else. Oh, I got him good. Oh, you did. You did get him good. I was laughing. I got him pretty good. All right, let's bring Durso in. New news today. Uh, on the NHL, and let's get it from Kevin Dursu, who covers the Flyers in the NHL for 97.3 ESPN.com. And, Kevin, obviously, uh, hockey was waiting over the weekend to get some good news, and was the news good today between the NHL and the Players Association? Uh, it is at the start for sure. I mean, the tentative agreement on return-to-play protocols is a big step in getting back on the ice. The only other part of this that Neil now needs to get completed is getting the CBA finalized, and they've been working on that extensively. They worked on it late into the evening last night. They're working on it again today, and the hope is is that somewhere in the next, probably hopefully in the next 24 hours or, so, or within the next 24 hours, that there is news that that has been tentatively agreed to and that it goes into the ratification process, which would then be the Board of Governors has to ratify it and then the Players Association would have a full membership vote. So it's going to be a process that lasts throughout most of the week, but you still have that timeline to get to uh, your target date of training camp in Phase 3. And if, if you're looking at hopefully about a week's time, you know July 13th is the date we keep hearing now. It was originally July 10th, but they're talking the 13th now. It sounds like you're going to be able to get to that date if you can get this thing finalized and get the tentative agreement in place by, say, the end of the day or early tomorrow and send it to the player vote hopefully very soon to get it finalized by the weekend. Right. So July 13th, it looks like at the earliest with the start of play in phase four to begin around August 1st in the two hub cities, Toronto and Edmonton. Is that uh, what we uh, have kind of uh, come to expect at this point? July 13th at the earliest, they hope to begin August 1st, Toronto, Edmonton. That's correct. So July 13th would be the start of phase three with training camps. The goal would be two, about two weeks from then, around July 26th, to get the players to the hub cities, and games would begin right around August 1st. The Eastern Conference is going to go to Toronto. The Western Conference is going to go to Edmonton. And then after the first two rounds of the playoffs, once you get down to the conference finals and you have four teams remaining in this thing, everything shifts to Edmonton at that point, and the rest of the season will take place there. But getting all of that thing, and at this point, too, well, without actually having, again, still official word on what the hub cities are, everybody's just saying Toronto-Edmonton. It's, it's pretty much a given at this point, and it's going to be out as soon as they release all of the finalized details, not just of the return to play, but the CBA as well. I saw Elliot Friedman tweet this out, and I want to get your thoughts. Return to play stage four states... Individuals leaving without permission may be subject to consequences up to and including removal. In addition, violations will result in, for clubs, significant penalties, potentially including fines and or loss of draft choices. Yeah, and I think the reasoning behind all of that is, is that once you, get to stay, once you get to phase four of this plan and you get into the hub cities, in order for this to work, the players have to agree to what is going to happen with it. Now, granted, if any player feels like there's any level of discomfort, the same way we're talking about in, in baseball or any of the other sports, there is an opt-out period for players. So once this thing gets ratified and once the players association with a majority, and all it needs is, all they need to do is have a majority vote. So once the players association has a majority vote on this and votes in favor, then it's in it's in effect. Players have three days from that point to opt out of this return to play scenario without a penalty. 
So certain players may come out and say they don't feel comfortable. Who knows how many really will at this point. There's not really any indication that a lot of them will. We just keep hearing that some are not so comfortable with it, but maybe as things get laid out, they will become comfortable with it. We'll just have to see where that goes. But that's really their chance to either accept the bubble life that's going to come with the hub cities or get out of it and just stay home. Anything after that has to be in compliance with this return-to-play protocol and has to be on par with what the NHL is laying out for them as what they're able to do. And they're going to try to give them things to do. It's not going to be just hotel life and that's it. They're going to try to allow for them to have the ability to do things like outdoor movies or even even select uh, opportunities to get onto golf courses at specific times, things like that. So they don't, they'll have the ability to do some things within this bubble life. But if they do anything or any team violates any part of this and goes off course, then yes, there are going to be significant penalties to this because the only way for this to really work is to keep the players in control. And the testing that's going to go on inside of these environments is insanely extensive as it needs to be in order to pull this off. It's not just the players and the coaches and team staff. It's anybody who works around it. So you're talking any hotel staff, anybody who would be part of making sure that everything functions properly around it. So they're going to really be testing a lot of people to make sure that this is staying out of that environment as much as possible. This could be a little bit of a reach, but I just thought about this as you were explaining it. What if you're a UFA? And you don't really care about that team's picks for next year. Or you don't care about what's going on with that organization down the road if you don't think you're going to be back. Do you think that that plays a factor? I think it still plays It plays a little bit of a factor, but I don't think it will go too far in the sense that, you know, I think that in, in addition to them talking about teams having significant penalties and possibly losing draft picks, I think there would also be something on the individual as well that it might result in player fines or anything like that. And if that's the case, then I think players would be very, uh, very careful about what they did and making sure that they stay within the guidelines because they, they don't want to, they might not want to take a fine. I can, I can only imagine that it would be just as significant from the individual standpoint as it is from the team standpoint. Kevin Durso covers the Flyers in the NHL, of course, uh, trying to get back out there. They released a statement today on COVID testing. 396 players uh, for the optional participation in Phase 2. Uh, with that, it looks like 23 positive tests. So where, how is the NHL feeling about how their testing is going? Because baseball is having all sorts of problems. Uh, how is hockey feeling about the way theirs is going? I'd say they're feeling pretty good, all things considered. And again, you don't want to keep seeing tests pop up. But I think from the last time, last time we talked and the last update that came out about a week ago, you know, it's eight new positive tests within phase two, but also nearly 150 more players being tested too. I think we went from 250 to the 396. So you're talking a number of a sizable increase in the amount of players being tested. The 396 is also roughly half of the league. So to get a rate right now that's under six percent total over the course of almost a month long period out of half of the league is a positive sign that things, especially when you look at how things are being handled, where the hub cities are located, that hopefully things will be able to stay in favor. Another good encouraging sign that came out today is that of the 23 players we're talking about, that includes the original list of 11 that we was out from the very beginning that included players on the Tampa Bay Lightning. But the Tampa Bay Lightning actually confirmed that the players that had tested positive and the staffers that tested positive have recovered and returned to being able to work out and, and go to the facility. That's a sign that also there's advancement in the recovery process, that they have not only had this confirmed positive, were removed, 
They had to shut down the building, all of that, and they were able to work their way back to reopening and getting those players back. So as long as you continue to see that positive advancement, too, that's another encouraging sign for what happens and how you handle positive tests when it happens. And if it were to happen well beyond this Phase 2 portion that we're currently in and into Phase 3 and Phase 4. Phase 3 is going to be the big X factor in this, though, because you still have everybody in a bunch of different locations and you still have to be mindful of what the players are doing and making sure they're staying within the guidelines of what the, the league is going to want to make sure they can get to this hub city bubble uh, while without having any infections brought in. So that's the real area where you need to be careful with this and to see what happens. But all in all, I think those numbers show positive trends. The fact that of the original group, you're hearing about recoveries and returning and the numbers don't seem to be increasing all that much. It was four new cases within the phase two protocol uh, from the previous two, from the uh, two weeks ago to last week, and now it's eight with a sizable increase in the number of players reporting. I think that that it just continues to lend itself to positive trends to getting back and being able to maintain low numbers throughout and isolate those players so you can actually get on the ice and pull this off. Do you think the amount of testing needed is going to be an issue? I saw reports that it's easy to envision requiring 2,000 tests per day at the beginning of the tournament, which is 20,000 tests in the first 10 days. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how much how much is going to go into this. That's definitely a thing because obviously the one thing that we know about this is that it's not going to be cheap, and it's going to it's going to cost the league a lot of money to make sure they're testing properly. But it also, you know. One of the things I've said about this from the beginning in terms of trying to return is that the NHL does have an opportunity here, and I'm sure that they see this, to have some added exposure, too. If they're the league that pulls this off and finds a way to come back and not only come back but sustain it and have nothing really go wrong in terms of stopping the whole thing in its place, it's why I said the what I said about going to Canada, too, and using updates in Canada, is that if you know the situation's better in Canada and you want to try to split things up, once one city's in the United States, like Vegas, and one's in Canada, well, what happens if the U.S. city is the one that disrupts the whole plan? It's going to look really foolish that you even picked one of them when you knew cases were rising, and it, it totally loses the merit of what you were trying to do. It's going to probably stop the thing in its tracks, and it ruins it for everybody, even if Canada's got it under control. So I think they've made a smart decision to go to Canada to set themselves up for success and to be able to play through, to be able to possibly play through this. Because I think that once they start to get the testing where they want it and they have the number of tests they need at the beginning to start with this and do it on an active basis, you know, the key also is to make sure that they're returning the tests quickly. It sure sounds like that from what I'm gathering, you know, that they're issuing these tests and getting them back quick enough to know when to get someone off the ice and get them out of the situation. Baseball's talking about guys who are waiting multiple days to find out if they have the virus or not, and they're in a waiting period, and they don't know whether or not they should report or not, or they're held out for that reason. This, it sure seems like this is allowing for players to know very quickly what their, what their situation is and to be able to determine whether or not it's safe for them to go on the ice and safe to be around the rest of their teammates and any of the staff that's with them or not. So I, I think that there's a lot of things in place that the NHL is doing right to make sure testing is going to be handled the right way. All right, uh, Dursa, we'll leave you with this. I know there's a lot of reporting about uh, what's going on in the hub cities and what it's going to look like. Are the, the players are staying there, right? I mean, they're staying in Toronto. They're staying in Edmonton. Is there like certain areas that have been kind of, you know, blocked off for them. I mean, they don't have like a hub specifically like Disney World does where they're all on like one property, correct? 
Yeah, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be like that where they're all on one property. But I, to my knowledge, the way it's going to be handled is that this, each city would be able to allow for certain areas for the players to be able to be in some way. And, and they're working with a lot of the general things that you would expect when you go on, you know, for players when you go on a road trip, you want to know you have a place that you can go to go out to eat, or you want to know that you have maybe some activity you can do. And that's what they're trying to work into this plan, giving players something else to do besides just being there and playing. And, and there's also, you know, the other key thing is, is that if you're going to live there for an extensive period of time, especially if you're one of these teams that has your, you know, maybe if you're one of the teams in the Eastern Conference who's going to go to Toronto, but you have your sights set on Edmonton because you want to be one of those last four playing, that's not only traveling to one city and staying there for a while, but eventually you're going to another, and you may not be seeing your family that whole time. So the integration of bringing families in after a certain point is also on the table. And that was a big part of determining players who are able to play or not. It wasn't just a matter of in this current time, especially while everybody is still with their families. Even if someone that is, you know, even if the player goes home and someone in their household has tested positive, they are the player themselves are, are forced to then isolate and are deemed unfit to play as a result of it. So if that's why it's such a touchy issue is because of the fact that the players don't want to leave their families, but you have, you know, you have more people that you would bring into the situation and you, kind of want to cut down on the number of people who you're exposing yourself to and exposing to that environment to potentially keep that number down. So as things go on, maybe that'll be integrated. But yes, to my knowledge, it's going to create a, an, an environment where they have other things to do, and they're not limited to just one hotel, one rink, and that's it. There's going to be a little bit of, uh, of an area that they have where they're able to be and you know do certain things so that they're not just limited to one area, but it's but it is not built like Disney World is or anything like that, where there's actually a property that is already inside of that sort of bubble space. Uh, for more, ninety-seven-three ESPN.com. Kevin underscore Durso. He's got the plan all mapped out, and uh, hopefully nothing gets knocked off track. Kevin, you're a gentleman and a scholar. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right, man. He like all guests appeared. Via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. This is some good news. I guess you're a Premier League fan there, Broads. Yeah, what's up? The Premier League confirmed zero positive COVID tests from the 1,973 people who were tested. Wow, that's huge. Now, I was watching some Premier League soccer over the golf tournament over the weekend. Wow. Yeah, I could not get into the golf. When is Premier League on? It's like 8 o'clock in the morning or something like that? Yeah, but on Sundays, they'll have a 3 o'clock in the afternoon game. Well, and this goes back to the conversation we had in the first segment. Premier League tested 1,900 people. They got zero tests positive. So more testing doesn't necessarily mean more positive tests if the people aren't positive that are taking the tests. So they have had almost 2,000 tests distributed. And zero came up positive. Maybe we really don't have our ducks in a row here. Just some food for thought. SPNFM. All right, a uh, lot to get into today. Um, the Washington Redskins uh, getting a lot of pressure to change their name. In fact, it looks like they're going to have to do that. We have some ideas for some new names uh, for the Washington football team. And there's some betting odds on what the new name might be. But the name that I came up with didn't make the list. Are you surprised by that? Nope, because my name's really original and outside the box. Okay. And theirs aren't. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's phenomenal. 
the other day we were talking about uh, the Premier League. You brought up the Premier League, and we were specifically talking yeah, real about... real quick on that Premier League, yes. I want to re- reiterate this. Zero positive tests out of 1,973 people tested. That's impressive. So you can test more people and not have more positive tests. What a concept. That's shocking, isn't it? But uh, we brought it up and we compared it to, this was in the United States, golf and the Premier League. And it was very similar in numbers. In the United States, I was thinking about this over the weekend, obviously I'm a hockey guy. Do you think that the NHL in the United States, only the U.S., has more fans than the Premier League does in this country? Well, you asked me this during the break and I didn't really give you an answer. And I told you to go look at Jason Fitz's Twitter poll question, which was, in light of the Washington football conversation, I want to know what you root for and why. And the options were city location, brand name, logo colors, any change, and I'm out. 84% say city and location. And I think that's the answer to your question. Hockey wins because major cities have a team that they can relate to, whereas for the Premier League, you're rooting for either brand name or logo and colors. Right, I would agree. See, the only thing, though, you know, being in this area, if I was to move and, say, move to Nashville, does that mean if I – because I voted city location. At what point am I no longer a Philadelphia sports fan, and then now I'm Nashville because I'm rooting for city location? there's where your buddy comes into play that you talked about about a month ago that's like a Jet fan, but he wants to be an Eagles fan now. Yes, yes. You're allowed to be keep your Eagles ties as the number one team, but support your new hometown because you would have civic pride in where you live. What if I moved to New York or Dallas? You would be disowned. (laughs) Is that how this works? (laughs) That's a tough one.